Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One additional aspect of Pausanias's speech in the symposium that's particularly interesting and which I think has a lot of implications for our own time and our culture is his references to what we can call paradoxes of love, paradoxes of erotic or romantic love, the love of desire. Now, he has in mind what's going on in Athens because he thinks that the other Greek city-states are, you know, sort of like in Goldilocks's story, they're too much or too little, they're very simple in their approach, to erotic relations, particularly between an older uh, and a younger man, where there's a power imbalance going on. Either they rule it out altogether, or they let too many things go, you know, they just say, hey, it's, it's just fine. In Athens, he says, the laws are more complex, and people get confused about this. And he's going to point out what is actually confusing about this. But I think that we can extend this not only into our own culture, but these are the sort of things that come up in respect of of erotic or romantic love throughout time and throughout history. These are interesting, we might say, points of confusion. So the context with this is relationships in where there is, you might say, a power imbalance, there is an imbalance in age, there is an older who is the lover and a younger who is the beloved. But I think that what we're seeing here could also apply to relationships where uh, they're on a much more reciprocal or equal ground with each other. So he brings up certain maxims, and these are kind of interesting. There's this maxim, it's better to love openly than in secret, particularly if the person that you're loving is somebody who's considered, you know, to have a good reputation, to be honorable, to have certain gifts, even if they're not really physically attractive sort of people that we will say, well, look, I'm, I'm in love with that person because I, I love their brain, their intellect, their ability to make things happen. Is there anything necessarily paradoxical about that? Insofar as we're, you know, as he's pointing out, look, normally we'd be attracted to those who are good looking, but we get attracted to other people for other reasons. That's not really so paradoxical for Pausanias, although that is paradoxical for some people. That's just sort of the lead in. Here's where it gets a lot more interesting. The lover is encouraged or even applauded. And think about the way in which we look at lovers, not only in our day-to-day life and in public situations, but particularly in terms of our cultural products. Think about romantic comedies. Think about sitcoms. Think about love songs. Think about the ways in which we portray these people. And he says the lover is encouraged or applauded for engaging in conduct that would, in other circumstances or with other motivations, not be seen as so good. And here, it's it's actually worth looking at some of the examples that he brings up. He says, imagine what would happen to a man who wanted to get money out of someone or a position or powers of some kind, some authority, and who therefore thought it fit to behave as the lover behaves towards his beloved. When somebody is displaying the kind of affection, the kind of infatuation, the kind of attraction that we sum up under this word love, we cut them a certain slack that we wouldn't if the motive was just to try to get some money out of somebody. We'd say somebody like, that's a con man. 
right? They're an operator. Or if they're trying to get a position out of somebody. As a matter of fact, they may pretend to be a lover or try to seduce the other into loving them so that they can get the position, so that they can get access to their wealth, their money, or power. When people engage in that sort of thing, you know, think about a student doing anything for a grade, anything with the significant quotes. We look at that as kind of tawdry and uh, a sign of bad character. But we allow people to do all sorts of things for love that, from other perspectives, are really not a good idea. Think about all the money, all the wealth that gets thrown into grand romantic gestures. People look at that and they're like, yeah, makes good sense. Think about, here's a great example, think about all the money that we spend on weddings, which usually happen, you know, at a long enough distance in time for both partners to get kind of ticked off with all the preparations that have to take place, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. If this was done for any other motive, Pausanias is saying, we would say, what the hell is wrong with you? You're, you're doing the wrong thing. But when the lover does it, then we're like, oh, good job. Keep it up. Do more of that. So that seems rather paradoxical. What are some of the other things that a lover does that he gives example? Urging his need with prayers and entreaties. Begging people. You go around begging people for money, you're a beggar, right? You go around begging people for a position. Again, that scene is rather unseemly, right? Doing anything that it takes to get the job. Maybe you're not the right person for the job in that case. But lovers are made to jump through all sorts of hoops by the objects of their affection, and they'll do it. And we say, that's just fine. As a matter of fact, that's the way it ought to be. Now we know you really love them, right? Vowing vows, sleeping upon doorsteps. You might think of that classic scene. I think it's in Say Anything. It's been turned into a meme so many times with the boombox and John Cusack, who I like very much as an actor. Not quite so much in that scene. Playing the song. That's the sort of stuff that Pausanias has in mind. And he's saying, this is ridiculous behavior. If you did that in any other circumstance, people would think that you're a complete nut. He goes on and he says, in short, to a slavery which no slave would endure. So it's a slavery worse than normal slavery. And yet the lover is encouraged in this by other people. Well, that's rather paradoxical. There is a conundrum there, right? Further, lovers, so the lover hasn't gotten much out of the deal on this end so far, right? Now the lover gets something of his or her own. The lover gets to break promises. As a matter of fact, there's this great line in there. Lover's promises are aphrodision horkon, right? Horkos is an oath. Aphrodision means of Aphrodite, of the things that have to do with, with erotic relationships, with sexuality, with all of this stuff that we would call romance, right? The line is literally, there is no lover's vow. Why? Because as soon as a lover says some sort of promise, you can be sure that they're probably going to forget about it or it's not going to apply. They get to do this. Try that in finance. You put your name on a contract, you actually sign it, you don't fulfill it, you'll be in court, right? And nobody's going to be able to say, well, I didn't really mean it at the time, you know, unless they're under duress. The lover gets to make and break vows and people think that's okay including the beloved and the lover. The beloved might actually justify that to their friends or their parents or to the friends and relatives of the, the lover and say, oh, it's okay that he or she didn't come through on this because, you know, it's the relationship that matters. So that's a paradox as well. Here's another paradox. If love is so good, 
if it's so ennobling, if it's so wonderful that we cut people slack when they're feeling it, then why do parents try to keep the lover from any sort of access to their child as the beloved? If it's such a great thing, why aren't they like, hey, it's sort of like taking swim lessons. You know, it's better than being thrown into the deep end. Um, go ahead and date all you want. Instead, parents actually restrict that sort of stuff. A lot of parents are like, well, you're not dating until you're 16 or sometimes, you know, 18 or, or whatever. You're not dating while you're under my roof. You're not engaging in these sorts of relationships. Kids find all sorts of ways to circumvent that. Social media and texting has, you know, introduced all sorts of new wrinkles into that. But if you read ancient Greek literature and ancient Roman literature, actually the ancient literature of most places, you will find that young people are extremely enterprising in figuring out how to get around parental restrictions. And why are those restrictions there in the first place? Because it's felt that love is not entirely good. There's, there's something dangerous about this. There's something that we want to put off until somebody's really able to handle it. Some parents may actually try to keep their children from ever falling in. They don't allow them the sort of freedom to do that. Why is that the case? Well, again, we're dealing with a paradox. Another paradox that he brings up, which is, again, perfectly applicable to our own time, the person who is a parent as a beloved because somebody else loves them and then maybe makes a gesture or something like that, their friends, their peers make fun of them. Oh, so-and-so's got a boyfriend. So-and-so's got a girlfriend. You know, some flowers come. Oh, who are those from? Why don't you tell the rest of us? Then people blush and they want to cover it up and, and hide it. Now, notice this goes back to the, the original maxim, better to love openly, right? Well, is it better to love openly or is it better to make uh, some secrets about this? People engaging in what we call PDA, public displays of affection. They might get made fun of for doing that sort of thing. Think back to like high school. I'm not even sure if they do this sort of thing. Somebody passes a note. By the time the note gets to its intended person, other people are looking at them and saying, aha, there's something going on there, right? So again, if love is supposed to be this, this really great thing that ennobles us, that brings out the best in us, you know, that gets us all, you know, charged up, that we cut all sorts of slack for, why do we make fun of people when they're not even the one who's loving, but just the one who is the object of somebody else's love and desire? Now, there's one other paradox, or at least seeming paradox, that I want to bring up that has to do with Pausanias' own presentation. He talked about it being okay to submit to the noble lover, right? The person who will actually, in a relationship with you, make you into a better person, who's not just interested in dating you or screwing you or having you on their arm or something like that, displaying you. The person who is genuinely concerned with you, who feels genuine affection, for whom the sexual component might even be secondary. He said that was okay. What if... You only think that it's the good lover, but it's really the bad lover, and they throw you over, and they break your heart, and they make you look like a fool, because you gave in to them, you got involved with them in a romantic or even sexual relationship, and then they dumped you after, you know, doing all sorts of other things, maybe cheating on you with your friends, emptying your bank accounts, sullying your good name, pick whatever you like. Was that a bad idea? Here's where the paradox or seeming paradox comes in. Yes, it was still a good thing to do. Why? Because it shows that the nobility of character that the other person didn't have and that you did have. You were submitting to them. You were getting involved with them because you thought that they were thereby going to ennoble you in a long-term relationship. So you had good reasons. 
it's still fundamentally from Pausanias's point of view a good act although an unfortunate one one that doesn't come to fruition and the question that you want to ask yourself is that really a paradox or isn't it it is a paradox from the perspective of a kind of prudishness, from a very conventional point of view. It's also a paradox for those who don't love according to the good kind of love that Pausanias talks about, which doesn't just look at the body, doesn't just look at the superficial, isn't just for today, isn't just about sexual pleasure, but is about the other person. There are many people who are genuinely incapable of not only sharing that kind of relationship, but even conceiving that that's a real thing. For those people, this will totally be a paradox. But for the person who has nobility within them, even in just in gestation, even just in development, this probably will not be a paradox. It'll actually be a narrative that could lead to some, some growth. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.